Way to steal my first pick, Waldman. <laughs> <laughs> that was on my There's list. one way to kick off this episode. Yeah. So, everybody, welcome to episode 67 of Music Nerds Unite. This is Scott Floman again with my brother Keith Floman and our buddy Larry Waldman. And this episode will be starting a 1970 song tournament, and we're going to do things a bit differently for this tournament. We're going to have a year-by-year song draft for each year in the 1970s. We'll each draft six songs to be a snake draft like we've done in prior episodes. This particular episode will cover the year 1970, a phenomenal year for music, one of the best years ever. Each person can only pick one song per artist, but an artist can have multiple songs if selected by different people. When we're done with the year-by-year breakdowns after 1979, we'll try to figure out a way to have a larger 70-song tournament. Maybe we'll just include all of the first-round picks for each year into a bracket, or maybe we'll come up with something more creative. But in the meantime, we have 10 episodes to figure it out. For these song drafts, we're not going to be too strict with regards to release date. If a song was released as a single in 1970 and again on an album in 1971, you could pick the song for either 1970 or 1971, but not both. Once a song is picked, it can't be picked again by anybody. Also, and this is just personal preference, but for variety's sake, if an artist already has a song picked, I'm not going to pick another song from that artist unless I feel very strongly that the song that was picked isn't their best song for that year. And for the first time in our various artists, album, and song tournaments, this isn't just a rock song tournament. We're opening it up to pop, soul, jazz, whatever genre we want to pick, so long as it's a great song. I'm mostly going to stick to rock and soul, though. No surprise there. And we're allowing live versions as well, though I think we should be judicious in such choices where the live version has clearly been established as the definitive version or it's so different than the original version that it deserves separate consideration. Anyway, the first pick for 1970 goes to Larry, followed by Keith and then me, and we'll reverse the order for round two and so on for six rounds. Before he makes his first pick, Larry's going to say a few words about the intro song, which he picked. So I'd been I'd been teasing Scott about what my intro song for 1970 was going to be for multiple weeks now, and I thought there's no better song for me to pick than "We've Only Just Begun" by the Carpenters. I thought you were going to pick "They Long to Be Close to You." <laughs> <laughs> I I picked this because we are beginning a new era of Music Nerds Unite and doing things a little bit differently than we normally have done. I picked it because it is an epic song and i picked it because i feel like the the seven we we've talked about this a little bit but the 70s were really an interesting decade in terms of music where you you would hear songs like this which are you know am radio soft rock whatever you want to call it side by side with traditional hard rock with psychedelica with soul with r&b it it was a very interesting time for music as opposed to now where pretty much you can listen to whatever genre you want by itself right that's not how things work back in the, right, the, the billboard top 40 back then was just a mishmash of genres right was, there's no rhyme yeah there's no rhyme or reason that is to what you know cracked into the into the mainstream yeah and because of that i think i think it was a little bit richer and, and i do think in a way 
it sort of set the stage for what we we see now where there is much more crossover of different genres not on radio but in terms of songs itself so a little bit interesting uh uh, facts about this song too it started out as actually a commercial for a bank in california and it was written by the legendary actually scott do you know who it was written by the burt Bacharach? no close though the legendary paul williams okay who at one point was so out of the public zeitgeist that some guy made a documentary where he was like he starts off by going you know I always remembered I really liked Paul Williams, and I thought it's been a shame he died so young. And then he looked him up and was like, oh, my God, he's still alive. And he created a documentary called Paul Williams Still Alive. So <laughs> this way we're honoring both the Carpenters and, of course, everyone. I, I think everyone should know the, the tragic story of Karen Carpenter, who, who unfortunately passed away from uh, anorexia and bulimia, but also remembering the legacy of Paul Williams. And I think the Carpenters, like ABBA, say, are one of those bands who maybe weren't critically acclaimed at the time, but are kind of now seen in a, in a revisionist light. I think whatever you think of their arrangements and their songs, Karen Carpenter is one of the greatest singers ever. Period. Totally. And, and, and the Carpenters, and, and I think, I mean, actually, I think most of their songs in there over are, are probably songs where no one in their right mind would admit that they love it, but everyone totally, at least of our age, everyone totally knows it and loves it. And of course there is, do you guys know what I'm going to go with next, right? The famous scene in like, I was just thinking about it. Yeah. 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 Which neither one of you guys had seen before I sent the clip. No, no, that's true. Where David Spade and uh, John Kennedy are, are, are driving and they're, they're arguing and they're fighting over playing songs over the radio and they keep changing the station. And then finally, the Carpenters come on, and they're both like... They're like, you're going to change it? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't really care. Fine. If you want to listen to it, fine. Whatever. But fine. Well, I'm not going to change it if you want to. And then they cut, and then the next scene is them both singing at Superstar as loudly and as like emphatically and emotionally as they can. And crying. And crying. Because cry. Superstar is a fucking awesome song. Yeah, yeah. We're starting with 1970, and, and back in that era, right, bands got paid for selling records, right? Today, bands get paid for touring. Right. And it just changed, it like flips the whole script on, like today, bands come out with albums every five years. And back then, you know, you had bands coming out with two albums in a year. Yeah. And that's what 1970 is, right? 1970 is just a ridiculous embarrassment of riches in that, like, the top artists have a ton. I mean, Credence came out with five albums in two years. Is yeah. That right? yeah. And they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> not to, not to, I mean, I don't think leading, it's not a lead in anyone to, to mention Credence, but, but yeah, it was just such a different era in terms of how music was released and consumed and how artists got paid. Yep. Larry, you're up. I do need to ask, was this really one of your picks, Keith? The Carpenters? Uh, no, it was not. You know, it was a potential, you know, I had a couple of potential last songs that yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just for shits and giggles. Yeah. But, uh, All right, Larry, right, what's the best song in 1970? All right, here we go.
the only call. The only call. I, I, I think you guys would have been pissed at me if I didn't pick it. Although maybe you would have been psyched because you could have picked it. But I mean, I was prepared yeah, for okay. you to pick this. So yeah. I was like gearing everything around. Layla being number one because um, one, I have a dog named Layla. I know. And two, um, you know, I'm not, you know, Clapton isn't my guy. Um, but, you know, you take Clapton, throw in a little Oldman and some woos. And then I'm in. You you got Bobby Whitlock there on vocals as well, who added a lot to the dominoes. And that's certainly the the best song ever about one man pining for another man's wife, no? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I would assume so. I mean, I'd have to do a little bit deeper. Specific specific genre, but yeah. I always wonder what happened afterwards, though. Later on, like when George and, and, you know, George Harrison and Eric Clapton were getting together, like after he divorced Patty. Wait again, like, what, were they like, yeah, dude, I could have told you. Like, what happened? Is it awkward, is it awkward at all? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was probably pretty awkward. George is a better man than I. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Because he, he forgave him. They were still buddies, so. But it was a different era, too. Rose before. Anyway. What's interesting about this song, right? It's one of those two songs in one. You have the intro with the classic riffs and the, the wailing solos. And then you have the second part of the song, which is actually written by drummer Jim Gordon, who plays the piano on it. Basically, the best parts of the second half of the song, the guitar parts, are played by Dwayne Allman. So it's Eric Clapton's signature song, yet these other two guys contributed to it so mightily. And Jim Gordon was the drummer. He wasn't even their piano player. That was Bobby Whitlock, who usually played well, the organ. I mean, I I always think of it as a clapton Almond collaboration. Like, always. I mean, kind of like Keith said, right? I mean, not that I... No, I don't know if I feel the same way about Clapton as, as Keith does, but I, I just always think of it as, as a collaboration between the two of them. So. Yeah, and like those high-pitched notes. I mean, you talk about a guy who had that magic touch, man. Dwayne Allman was just incredible. Oh, he had this slide, this slide guitar. And, but the thing about Layla as a song, right, is you think of it as like this kick-ass song, but like you said, like more than half of it is the end. Yeah, it's the code. <laughs> right? It's got the longest outro of any like yeah, and it's beautiful. Uh, song. And it's John, it's, it is a beautiful outro, but like Layla without the first, you know, three minutes isn't like, you know what I mean? Like it's the first three minutes is the irreplaceable part. And it's like, it's, that's what makes the song. And then the second half, the second two thirds almost is um, a little bit, I wouldn't call it filler, but it's, you know. I, I totally disagree. I, I like the second half of the song better. To me, yeah, that's, I, that's I really, the best part of the song. Not to try to split the difference, I, I feel like they both work Go together. Yeah. yeah, they both work. They both work better together, right? If, like, like that's one of the most iconic opening riffs of a song ever. Yeah. Right? If Layla was just the second half of the song, we would right. talk about the whole about thing. It. You're right, and and the backstory like, also, and the backstory. Yeah, I think if Layla ended at so Scott, if Layla ended at three fifths, like at the break. It would still be. It would still be pretty fun. Larry would still be picking. <laughs> pretty epic, yeah. If it if it was just the second half, it would you know it would just yeah, be a, that's a, a fair different point. type of song. 
Yeah. yeah, and it's the, the the two together that that makes it one of the greatest songs ever. How many songs can you think of that have similar structure where, you know, you've got this extended outro? I guess we talked about Purple Rain as being... Purple Rain. Well, this is different because it changes gears from a, a pretty yeah. hard rocking tune to a very mellow tune. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're up for the second song, and... I'm sorry, wait, before we do that, Goodfellas, we got to mention it, right? One of the most <laughs> iconic uses of music in a movie, right? Yeah. From Layla. So, anyway. All right, let's go. I know what this is going to be. I think your film is going to be misguided. Mm. I, You know, it's funny. I didn't nope. Even, I, picked, <laughs> I had this song on my list, but I didn't put any time in because I heard one of the two of you would have it. So. Yeah, so you guys stole my first two picks. Yeah, well, there, there was, there was no way this song was making it past three. So. spreadsheet of list of songs when i had this for the timing i just put why bother well, yeah. <laughs> i knew i wouldn't get to it so <laughs> when you talk about the greatest vocal performances of all time that's on the short list imagine hearing that in 1970 right i it, it's funny I, when uh when i was like going through songs i was thinking and i was i listened to this a couple times see it's such a bridge song to me but it's so ahead of its time right because it's a bridge, at least to me, it's a bridge between psychedelica, metal, 
even like some of the stuff that Keith and I really dig now in 2022, like progressive, mel melodic, symphonic death metal, like that you could you could put this in there and it's, it's ten minutes a, it's a straight line. Yeah. Exactly. It's ten minutes long, so Scott automatically likes yeah. it. Yeah. Like you said, vocally there was never anything before like it. It's just an unbelievable song. Like you said, if it came out today, you be like you gotta listen you gotta listen to this shit yeah it's incredible well you got the, the moody slower sections right those amazing build-ups right. with not with the vocals but the drums are just insane the way it builds with the vocals and then you have the the guitar solo in the middle so i didn't know if you would actually go with that part the first uh series of shrieks into the guitar solo is, is amazing yeah. also and the excellent guitar solo you have those the the deep purple the main thing with deep purple is the uh, the duels between the uh, organ and the guitar you have that but mostly it's about those those shrieks from Ian Gill and which are, are just unforgettable the other part of it right it's like you know as it, it's a ten minute song you don't have fatigue from the song from you know fifty years of radio play. <laughs> Right, like smoke just, on the water, it's, right? It's right it, again. It's just it's a song that just stand like just stands on its own as this monster, um, which is why it's just such a classic, man. Yeah, I mean, I think it is the best Deep Purple song, and and they were a great band. This was their best lineup. They're they're one of those bands where every guy was great at what they did, and they all get a chance to shine on this because it is this long epic progressive song i agree i think it's their best song but it like you guys said i mean it's not overplayed unlike some of their other songs i mean i would think most people who think of deep purple wouldn't even put this in their top three or four songs that they know of deep purple at least you know the, the... yeah if they're a radio, listener or a radio, 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 radio listener yeah but if you're a hardcore deep purple fan this is way up there yeah all right so all right, Roman, you're up i'm up I have a sense of what you're going to pick, but double see. picks here. So, send it I, have a, I have a sense of what one of the bands will be. I, I called it. Well, I didn't call it because I didn't say it, but I didn't want to spoil it. But that's exactly what I thought you would pick. And Keith is not happy, so that makes me happy. Interestingly, uh, you, picked a different, <laughs> you picked a different clip than I picked. It, so, okay, hang on. This is one of the songs where it's hard to pick a clip because the entirety of the song is great. It's not really peaks you think of. Yeah. Feel the sky. Let your soul and spirit fly into the mystery. And where that fork I will be coming home.
That was Van Morrison with Into the Mystic, and uh, we Fuck talked. You, this- Fuck you! I would have been Fuck I would have been shocked if this wasn't your pick, especially because the first two picks were gone. So yeah, I mean, I did debate a little bit. Obviously, when you pick back to back, it's not as big a deal. But if we do decide to pick say, the first round of each year. I wanted this one to be in the larger tournament. I didn't know if this was going to be that that high, to be honest. I thought it could slip into to the Mystic. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, we'll see why when we pick the next few songs. We've talked about Dan Marston a lot previously, right? And the word we always come back to with him is mystical. His best music just has an incredible spiritual and mystical quality to it. And with this song, which may be his best song. It's right there in the song's title, right? The song just has such a warm, inviting ambiance to it. The saxes add just the right bit of seasoning, even if maybe they're a bit too similar to the horns on Otis Redding's Mr. Pitiful. And of course, Van in his younger days is one of the best singers ever. So this is just a phenomenal song that everyone seems to love and which pretty much perfectly fits any occasion. Van the man. And, and again, you know, not the big radio play, right? Like, um, that's the thing about Van is some of his best stuff is stuff that's not yeah. his commercial stuff, right? I mean, you'll Moondance. hear it on the radio. So it's, Moondance, not, it's not like Brown Eyed Girl or Moondance, but it's a song you will hear on the radio occasionally. Moondance was 1970, right? Yeah, same album. Yeah, same album. Oh, yeah, same album. But yeah, the first side of Moondance. I, I never movie. considered that any of the three of us would have picked Moondance over Into the Mystic. No. No. Not even a consideration. Right. And Moondance is amazing. It's great, but it's not it's it's not the same. Yeah. Not close. Not even close. Yeah. All right, Floman. Double pick. What do you got? Don't fuck me again, all right? I, I think I'm gonna fuck you, but not in the way you think. We could go with the beginning, too. I don't know. Interesting. I, I, I had the beginning clip, but okay. All right. Go with the beginning, then. Yeah. It's more iconic, but I, I um, you only had a little more variety. I was kind of hoping right. this might slip, but I guess I guess that was that was not. I know you, you guys had this band. I wasn't sure if this was the song that you guys were going to pick. So so I actually I actually think this this might be the best um album of 1970 like th- this particular album because yeah. there's, there's a lot of picks on it but for me yeah this was this was the song you had to pick yeah they have several others three others specifically that were worthy of consideration but the more i thought about it i i kept coming back that this was definitely the right one yeah i had a different pick by the same band but well you can I, still pick that i know yeah scott scott i think they know what it is <laughs> i think i know what it is and with halloween coming around that makes oh sense. i'm sure yeah i i, I <laughs> and uh, it's funny we're talking like it, this is it's like a lot of build-up right but it's funny because i think that most people would not have picked this or the son that keith's gonna pick that's true that's yeah. true they would have picked a, th- a different one which is also amazing so here we go <laughs>
virtues that black masses <laughs> evil minds that plot destruction <laughs> sorcerer of death construction <laughs> in the fields of bodies burning <laughs> as the war machine keeps turning <laughs> Hatred to mankind <laughs> Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> greatest black sabbath song period <laughs> it's all there the killer doom laden <laughs> riffs that explode from scorched speed one could argue one could argue the rumbling lumbering earth-shattering rhythms ozzy's otherworldly vocal wells the memorable lyrics and music that would make a perfect soundtrack for a horror movie or a war movie and some great soloing from tony yami as well classic i Wait, can imagine ozzy writing that song and he's like what rhymes with masses <laughs> uh, <laughs> masses, masses. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's i got it it's so funny you say, it's so funny you say that i was listening to like my my playlist of songs this morning and i'm like seriously they couldn't have thought of something besides masses and masses? <laughs> yeah this song's not really about the lyrics Although they are kind of cool. The lyrics are good. I mean, you know, yeah. 1970. Written by Geezer yeah. Butler, by the way, the lyrics. More, pro- more protest song. So, and and Scott, I'm sure you know the original name of the song, right? I don't remember. It was originally Walpurgis, which is uh, the witch's Sabbath. It's a witch's Sabbath. It's like it's like Christmas for, for Wiccans. But mm. they, figured, they figured that might be a little too satanic, you know, for a band name. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's a great song, Repent Walpurgis, by Procol Harum. You know that one? Mm-hmm. Great instrumental. I think that's the 60s. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk about that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> also, a little bit of a shout I mean, you mentioned it, though, but a little bit of a shout-out. I, I think Ozzy's vocals are phenomenal on this. He's so unique, right? I mean, and it fits Sabbath so perfectly. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to say he's like some of the other, you know, vocals we've heard already in terms of quality. I'm just saying, like for this song, his vocals are fucking perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a freak, sure. And Bill Ward, phenomenal drummer as well. We were talking a little bit in the beginning about what we had. I had us starting a little bit at forty because that's when you hear the hi hats like really Eastern. Because in the beginning, it's just Ozzy hi hat. And a little bit of guitar. It's just, it's the build is so awesome. So we've gone from the Carpenters to Black Sabbath. I like right. that. 1970, baby. Straight line. It's a straight line, baby. Straight line. All right. I think Keith is up. I think I'm up. All will right. He, will uh, he double up on metal? So here, you know, I won't, I won't be mad if you would have picked a different song, um, but. Um, I, I go back and forth. I don't even know if I'm right or not. I, I can go either way. All right. So I wasn't sure which song to pick from this album, this band. And you could go 
there's no right, there's no wrong answer, there's no right answer, but I had to have one of them, and there's no way I was going to let it slip past the second round. So, Larry, take it away. Can't argue with the with the album. Can't argue with the song choice. I I had a different song from the same album on, which I could still potentially throw in. But I believe yeah. me, I, like my whole life, I was probably on the other side of this choice. Mm. Sweet Jane is just like such a. Um, they're both like so different from the first album. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's it's one like it's just a great evolution of just a, a band we becoming about, we talked about the first album at length right about the vibe that it has how it makes you feel this is a very very different album although i think there's three songs i i, I know the second song you're talking about. yeah no i know the third, yeah, yeah, the, third song. the third song would have been probably my pick although awesome too. the one that was covered by the black rose maybe maybe the thing is, i almost what... think of the other song as more of a lou reed song than or, or as much of a Lou Reed song as a Velvet song, whereas this is like, this is again Velvet. So this was Sweet Jane. Obviously, the other one I'm going to say you could still pick it is Rock and Roll. What they both? What's the they, third one? Is Oh Sweet Nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a little different. It's a little more epic, right? A little slower pace. These two songs, Sweet Jane and Rock and Roll, which and these are like the only two Velvet Underground songs you'll actually hear on the radio, right? I mean. Not a lot, but they, they got some airplay, right, over the years a lot. on classic no. rock radio, right? But you'll hear it every once in a while. And and they just convey the pure joy of rock and roll, right, both songs. And then his vocal intonations, right, he's not a great singer per se, but he's he's just got such a cool delivery, right? You hear it in the strokes, right, and, and so many other bands. And uh, you got some, like, doo-wop influences, right? So you got the history of rock and roll in there also, and it, there's some, and you can song. hear Beatles influence in it too, right? Like, there's definitely a, um, where where obviously they're usually influential, but you can see them absorbing some of the influences from, you know, the late '60s too. Yeah, loaded with their commercial rock album, right? By comparison, yeah, 
and these two songs exemplify that the best of all. So yeah, good pick, man. All right. As Scott had mentioned at the, uh, at the top of this podcast, this is a wide open tournament or a wide open draft or whatever it is. It's a wide open podcast. So we can pick songs from any genre and I'm taking this in a different direction. So get on up. Boom. So that, of course, was Move On Up by Curtis Mayfield. I, just an absolutely epic, epic song. I, I think the beginning is one of the greatest openings of a rock, R&B, whatever you want to, progressive soul, funk, whatever you want to call it, songs of all time. Also, probably maybe for some of our younger listeners, Sampled by Kanye, which is kind of a dirty word these days, but he was a great artist until, you know, like yesterday or two days he ago. He jumped a shark. Ye is controversial. Kanye's not. Yeah, fair enough. Kanye is <laughs> not, but Ye, Ye is a little controversial. Yeah. In Touch the Sky. Again, the 70s was an amazing time, particularly for R&B, soul, and funk, right? I think this is where, where it really had its heyday. And, and again, like this is stuff you would hear on the radio next to Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or Elton John or the Carpenters, which makes for amazing radio, but also just shows you how there was more of a monoculture of music that allowed all of these different types of music to be part of it. And, and there's, I knew this was, there's not, there's no way this is getting past Scott with his double picks. Next. So yeah, that was my next was, pick. And uh, Curtis Mayfield is a great artist, right? I think he doesn't get the, uh, maybe he gets the credit from people who really know music, but he's kind of overlooked by the general public. You had the impressions in the 60s, some great solo stuff, especially in the early 70s with Curtis and later Superfly. This is his best song, I think. And uh, 
from the first note, right? It's simply impossible to stand still, right? You put it on, right? The effect is immediate. People will dance and smile uncontrollably. It's one of those songs that just makes you happy. And the studio version is nine minutes long, right? It's yeah. like, it just keeps going and going. And there's a single version that's much, much shorter. They're yeah. both great. And then how about the percussion, right? You literally took the words out of my mouth. I think one of the greatest things about the song is that, so yes, it's nine minutes long, but if you listen to it, the percussion and the horns are both so... I, I was just going to say, Keith, what does that <laughs> song feature? <laughs> it's been a while. Break yeah, we can, wait, we, can say, we can save that for um, for Sam. Um, but yeah, there's some horns there. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely a, a grooving, like, you know, it's a it's a grooving song, right? Like, it, it starts fast, the notes are quick. It's a great song. All right, I'm going to stay in a similar genre. Before you do, can, can I just do a shout out to the leadoff track on that album? First of all, it's got one of the greatest song titles ever. I know we're not going to pick it because we already picked the one up, but Don't Worry If There's a Hell Below, We're All Going to Go is all oh, right. classic. Yeah. All right, I forgot that Larry had the double. I had my, my next pick queued up, so don't fuck it for me, Larry. I, I might be. I don't know. I, I went back. I don't, think, I don't think you will. All right. I went back. There's some obvious ones we haven't picked yet, but let's see. But, you know, it's, I feel like it's my it's my duty as a member of this podcast to, to keep us a little bit on, on the funk. A little bit of the funk. Right. So here you go. Here's Sex Machine. Right. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> get on up. I want to get into it, man. You know. Like a, like a sex machine, man. Yeah. Moving, doing it, you know. Yeah. Can I count it off? Yeah. One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up. Get up, get on up. Stay on the scene. Get on up. Like a sex machine. Get on up. can't go through 1970 without a little JB. sex machine little little sex machine little jb also i think that i probably picked the song that is the most sampled song in our tournament yep the duet right we got him uh singing with his buddy you got the jb's the tightest band going bootsy and catfish collins jabbo starks on drums the funky drummer there's not much to it right it's just a groove but that's just a groove. it's just a groove it's i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know pretend it's the most complex song but it is a groove and again it just shows you you know like what what was possible in being able to hear music in 
1970. But think, but think about it, right? You, you in the seventies, you still had artists from like the fifties, right? This, like you had just this mishmash of stuff, yeah, through pop culture that was, you know, not differentiated. So you had a James Brown and an Elvis Presley. You had all these different yeah. artists. Your chart in 1970, which is insane, you know? Like, if you look at, like, the top, if you look at the number one hits for 1970, it's, it's absurd. The songs that you hear are, and, and the stuff, that, and the artists that you see, they're all over the place. Yeah, and that was Bobby Bird doing the Get On Up part of the vocals. His name escaped me for a second there. Just want to give him a shout out. <laughs> the fact that you even know that, let alone the fact that it escaped you and you had to recall it, <laughs> pretty impressive. All right, Keith. I'm 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 assuming I did not take your number your pick. You did not take my pick. That's it. Don't let the end of their careers. Oh boy. Muddy what this song was. I would not, because this song was on my list. Now mine too. Jimi Hendrix said the guitarist was better than him. And what do they have in this fucking song? Well. Let's be honest. Every song. Pretty much every one of their songs, but still, it's a good call. why you went with that part because it showed off the whole band but i would have played the guitar solo the epic guitar solo before it but but there's a difference between guitars and guitars plus true and vocals Uh, you captured more of what the overall song is about but that solo is an all-timer and again, it's sort of, to me, it's a little bit of a forgotten classic song, right? As classic radio sort of gets wiped off. <laughs> yeah, it's another one. Wiped off the planet, yeah. you know. You, yeah. you unless, just unless you have, don't have the same. Yeah. 
when we were growing up, that was a song you heard on classic rock radio, but not anymore. Yeah. And I'm sh I'm sure Scott knows why. It, do you know why it's called Twenty Five or Six to Four? I, I know it's about Rider's Block, and it's related to that, but I don't know exactly why. It's because when when he came up with the guitar riff in the solo. He wasn't sure what time it was in the morning, but it was either 25 or 26, <laughs> 4 a.m. Nice little bit of trivia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like feel like you give us trivia all the time. I, whenever I can get one in, it's sneak one That's in. Good. Yeah, That's good. That's good. That was good. And the drumming's phenomenal, too. The whole band were just great musicians and great singers, too. They had multiple vocalists. Uh, that was Peter Cetera. With that I, I always was always confusing about Chicago, right? You're always like... Is that Peter Cetera? And that, and, and whatever, yeah. So, yeah, again, it's what they became later that, just, you know, it's like it's another one of those bands where they confuse you and <laughs> turning into like, a piling shit ball when, you know, their prime was pretty, was pretty good. Well, I think that, I think actually that probably has more to do with us than them in that when we were getting into music, they were already in their decline of like being a soft rock shitty band that nobody liked. But and admit it, you like some of those ballads. Man, I, I kind of know. No, it's not like the Carpenters. <laughs> but but I'm saying, like, but for our parents, or or maybe like in between us yeah, and our parents, yeah. Chicago would have been a badass, cool band in the early '70s. You know, they were an almost avant-garde band. Their yeah. first like three albums were double albums with yeah. all over the place and hard rocking and they I mean, had a, a guitar hero was amazing stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, it's again, it's like you said, like. Don't let the end of it tarnish. No. Chicago is a great band. Yeah. yeah, you judge bands and say athletes right on their prime, right? You don't you don't think of Muhammad Ali versus Larry Holmes, right? You right. think of him versus Joe Frazier and George Foreman and Sonny Liston, and yeah, Chicago had a great prime. Unfortunately, cut short. Really, the the soul of the band was was guitarist Terry Kath, and and he accidentally killed himself with a self inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, playing Russian roulette, which is insane to think about. And uh, to me, the band never recovered from that. So they were great when he was in the band. Who knew Russian roulette was dangerous? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that that would be something that you should take away. <laughs> I think his last words were, don't worry, it's not loaded. It's like John Hexham. Nothing. Should I know what that is? Yeah, probably not. John Hexham was, uh, he was in... DJ and the Bear, and his last words before playing Rush were like, let's see if I get myself with this one. DJ and the Bear. That alone is obscure. Come on, man. I used to watch it. I used to watch it. Yeah. BJ McKay and my best friend, Bear. Yeah. Who's up next? You again, right? You. Really? Yes. I suck at this. Okay. You know what? You kind of do. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. Uh, yes. Someone's got to pick this, so it might as well be me.
really need to say anything? So, so <laughs> begins the John Paul George competition. Yep. 1970. That's right. Yeah. It's going to be fierce. I mean, we talked a lot about that song when we did our, our Greatest Beatles Songs podcast, right? So, I mean, what can and we you get say? Back, and the Get Back um, documentary. You know, documentary, which... Which, it's absurd when you see him in the back, Paul in the background being like, I mean, it's one of the greatest Beatles songs, and, and can we just marvel at what an amazing singer Paul McCartney is? It is amazing, like... <laughs> Don't don't say it. Don't say it. The word you're about to use. It's a you're about to use a word. Uh oh, yeah, that's no, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yeah, so it's <laughs> maybe I'm amazed at how <laughs> no, no, what I was gonna say, what I was gonna highlight is just you know, between and again, sorry, Ringo, but fuck you, Ringo. Paul is like this majestic song, like beautiful. Like they, they just have like a different characteristic between the three of them, John, mm-hmm. Paul, and George. And the fact that they were all in the same band writing <laughs> music. And the fact that, like you can tell that Let It Be was sort of John and, and George saving shit. For, like not checking into the Beatles and like saving stuff because of what they were working on for themselves. Whereas Paul, and you can see it and get back, right? Like Paul was invested in yeah in the Beatles at that point. And Let It Be was the centerpiece of that, obviously. Yeah, it's like the pinnacle of that very late era. This is definitely the three of them starting to go their own ways, but yet at least... As you watch Get Back, you can see how they still collaborated. They were still helping each other and riffing off each other. And they still had a brotherhood at that point, Yeah, which was cool to see. All right. Double picks. I'm reminding you because yeah, sometimes you forget. Here we go. A lot of songs uh, in this band to pick from. Yeah. There were plenty of other possibilities, but at the end of the day, this has always been my favorite song by them. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Delayed, fuck you. Have you ever seen the rain by CCR? The other one I, I really thought of was the other song with rain in the title. You guys know what that one is. And like Keith pointed out, they had five really good albums in two years, which is just insane. And, and then uh, they took a break in 1971. What the fuck was that? 
Yeah, they were getting yeah. along too well by then. So that's what yeah, well, their, lead, their leader was an asshole. So I guess <laughs> yeah, but he was an amazing singer, songwriter, and guitarist. So we'll cut him some slack. The reason I play towards the end of the song is I just love it when those keyboards come in at the end. It's like subtle, but it's uh it's great. And and his vocals are, are amazing also. One of my favorite singers, just such a unique sound and I can go on and on about how much I love CCR. It's just a great song. You you are a CCR man. And uh, you picked the right one. Both of those are great options, but... Yeah, that was was my CCR pick as well. All right, I'm up. So this is a song that has affected me for, like, I guess my entire life since it came out in 1970. I... Uh, yeah, I, I was. I've been listening to it since it was on eight track, and you may have to switch your application to actually play it. All right, I know it now, Larry. So Scott knows already. I got them both up. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, here it goes. It's a, it's a crusher. Let's uh, let's all get high. Not sure that was exactly the clip, but it does the job. So that was after the Gold Rush by Neil Young. It's a crushing song. Like it's, it's, it's just. Uh, it's always been a heavy hitter. Like as a, as a kid, you know, you hear it and you're like, that's. I don't know. That, that doing something to me. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's making me sad. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Uh, and, you, you you got it. It I I feel like that, that's a combination of you know like there's there's three kinds of people who listen to music right. There's people who listen to the music and that's it and they don't really listen to the lyrics. There's people who listen to the lyrics and don't really pay attention to the music. And then there's ones who listen to both. This is one of those songs where like you listen to it and you kind of can't help but sort of between how it sounds and then you start to listen to it and you can't help but be like be a little yeah. Listen. And the vocals right. They're just so affecting right. I mean they they just cut deep. Yep. And the question that I that everybody needs to know, right, is what did his friend say? <laughs> I I don't know, but it, it had to be bad. Was it a lie? <laughs> it be. A lot of betrayal in that song. That song hits, man. It's it's hard. Sometimes simplicity is best. All right, Scott, you're up. You're up for a deuce. I don't think so. I think oh, Larry's up for a deuce. I'm up for a deuce. Yeah, for a deuce. We should be careful about that <laughs> phrase game because 
taking a deuce George Harrison always said that being in the Beatles it was like being constipated and having to hold it in and when he went solo that was the explosion of all things must pass (laughs) (laughs) that's that's interesting um I'm not sure that's exactly how I would have introed that song but you know since we were on talking about deuces that's okay yeah yeah so that is um that is what is left by George Harrison uh, from his his triple album, All Things Must Pass. And Keith had sort of teed this up beforehand that uh, you know we'd be getting into solo Beatles fighting, going their own way. And for for me, I mean, All Things Must Pass is an epic album. And again, if you watch Get Back, you can you can you can hear and see George Harrison holding back some of his material from that from those out sessions. Because he knew that he was going to... And literally, right, and literally recording stuff (laughs) aside to not be with the Beatles. And look, this is, again, 1970 is so crazy because you have Let It Be being released and you have all three, well... All all three Beatles. (laughs) All three Beatles. No, No offense, Ringo. Before I go to my next song, I need a uh, I need a ruling from from Podmaster Scott. If a song was released in '69 but went to number one in '70, does it go count? for it? Go for it. Sweet. We said we're not going to be sticklers about release dates, so okay, perfect. I do think that is the best song, and all things must pass, and it has that massive wall of sound with Phil Spector and. It's just uh, a great tune, but you know there are plenty of other songs. Yeah, that no, that, for me, that was it. I mean, I I know you know a lot of a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, fans of My Sweet Lord, which is a, a very great, nice, nice song, but it's not it's not the same as What Is Life. It doesn't have the exuberance and the sound of it. So yeah. Speaking of exuberance, here we go. <laughs>
So I had a different song by this band before I got that ruling because these two are, are both songs are amazing. But for me, I want you back is the best Jackson's and best Michael Jackson song of all time. And, and anyway, absolutely. But I never had this on my list for 70, but whatever, it's fine. We won't be getting to the sixties anytime soon. So, yeah. Yeah. so you're going to pick ABC, which is kind of an inferior sequel to I want exactly. you back. ABC is like, is like not quite as good as, as I want you back. I know you know the answer to this, but any guesses on how old Michael Jackson was when he recorded this song? Actually, I don't know. I'm guessing 10. 11. Yeah, 11. 11. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and like such a polished performer with the, with the dance. Who uh, who wrote the song though? Was it the Jacksons or? No, it was one of the Motown people. It was, I think it was Barry Gordy, the corporation. Barry Gordy, was the corporation. Right? Exactly. Yeah. He's the corporation. Yeah. So their, their first four singles all hit number one, which is pretty amazing, right? The Love You Save, I, I'll Be There as well. But this is. But the they were created by label right well no they were groomed by the label and and perfected by the label but they were an act before the label. no no but i'm saying if you're not writing like again to me if you're not if you're just performing somebody else's songs but the way michael jackson performed yeah i guess right i mean the 11 year old doing that (laughs) that's absurd (laughs) (laughs) yeah again I was going to pick ABC, but I was really hoping I didn't have to, so I had them both ready. So I think uh, that was Pitchfork's greatest song of the 1960s. <laughs> but it didn't hit number one until 1970. So. <laughs> we let it go. We let it go. Hey, this episode could only be strengthened by the appearance of I Want You Back. Yeah. So I just got Layla and I Want You Back. I mean, he's compiling a pretty strong portfolio here. Yeah. yeah. All right, I guess, is it me again? It's you. Double picks. Are these his last two? No, I'm not double picking. He doesn't have double double picks. He has one pick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then I go, I really am dead at this. And then I get one more. That was was my fourth and fifth pick. Just so we're we're keeping keeping it straight. So in case anybody thought that um, Credence owned Rain, Mm. they don't own Rain. There's more rain. Nice.
great pick. So much to talk about with this song. Yeah, really. The one-year anniversary of my buddy Miles, who passed away um, a year ago, was uh, a couple of days ago. I just popped up on my Facebook. I didn't remember, but you know this, this song. Like literally, every time you hear it, like you have a memory of, like, or you have some forward-looking thing. Like, <laughs> oh, I have to. Like, it makes you think, right? Every time, it's there's some connection to the past or the present or the future where, like, damn, life is short. Right, that this song always hits like that, and it does. It always hits. It's always got the feels. Although for the three of us, for our future, this will not be the song that is played. Correct? There's only one <laughs> song that we're playing at the end of our lives. It's <laughs> <laughs> on Mr. Brightside. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. In an Irish pub. So. If this song doesn't move you, you're either dead or a sociopath. It's really that simple. I mean, he took this super personal song, and like he said, it, you make it your song, right? Because you have your own memories attached to that same kind of experience. And and it became this universal song. And it's a, a beloved song. It's a very sad song. It's a beautiful song. And it's an absolute classic. Definitely his greatest song. It is interesting, though. So I agree with everything you say. I do wonder, though, if people who didn't grow up with this song have the same emotional connection with it. Because I do think it's like you said, you take you take the, the, the pathos and the emotion that, that James Taylor had when he wrote this song and you, you naturally associate it to either things that happened when you've heard the song or things like he said in her past. I mean, I, I have multiple associations with the song. Most of them are not, you know... Not awesome, right? <laughs> they're 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 sort of derived from how this song feels. But I do wonder if people like you know who haven't heard it or don't have the same connection to it, how they would feel about it. But fuck them. It's hard to imagine that, like not having that emotional connection to. I thought I'd see you again, right? Like, yeah. how many people have you had where that? Yep. And maybe, but and it is like an older. Reflection, right? It's not something a yeah, young but, person you know, would worry this, about. I, I hear you, but like you can be 25 and still have people in your life that are gone where you thought you'd see them again, right? It's a heavy, it's a heavy tune. So, this was obviously on my list too. One thing when I was, you know, looking at my little bits of trivia for this, one thing I did not realize I didn't realize you played piano on this song. Carol King. Carol King. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah. I, I made I completely you totally guessed that. Completely, yeah, completely guessed that. Yeah, I know they have a connection. Not, not only did Carol King play piano on the song, but apparently, the song "You Got a Friend" she wrote as sort of like a, a pick me up response to him saying, "You know, where I could not find a friend." All right, all right, moving so on. Just right. so we're clear, this is your fifth pick, and then your sixth pick. Got and it. Then and then you're done. And then you're done. Except for your 20 honorable mentions you'll do later. And just to be clear, for those who can't see us, because this is a podcast, I'm holding up fingers of five and then six. <laughs> All right. So 
I had a, a game plan going into this, right? I wanted one soul song, one hard rock slash metal song, three classic rock songs, and one experimental obscure song, right? Oh, so I, I've got the hard rock covered. We're going, we're going a little kraut rock? I've got the classic rock covered. So I'm going to go with one of the other categories here, and I'm debating two songs written by the same songwriting tandem Produced by the same label. And I think I have my pick. All right. So this next song will always be timely and timeless. It will always be powerful. Its message will always resonate deeply. I feel like Adam Silver about to be like, okay, the pick is in. Yeah. The musicianship here by some legendary session musicians is first rate. The song is much more rocking than what is typically associated with the record label. And the singer puts in an all-time utterly hair-raising performance. Temptations. That was my other one. message is so simple so direct and will always be so on point i think i think that's influenced a little bit by your father my dad does love this but he likes the the other song i was thinking of even more oh boy there there's there's a little bit of foreshadowing so just a, a quick i remember the first time i ever heard this song i thought this and i still think it even though i know it's not true i i have this image of edwin Starr like walking into a recording studio where they're like, hey, look, we've got this great riff and we just want you to sing it. And just and and he just goes in and just sings whatever's on his mind. I know that's not true because obviously he wouldn't have been able to riff like that, but it feels so authentic and it feels so heartfelt that it, it just, it feel, it's always felt to me like he just went into the studio and just said whatever was on his mind keyed to the music that they put out for him, so. Yeah, and he knocked it out of the park. And uh, Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong 
with the songwriters for this song and the other one. I was considering Larry Barrett Strong. What is he known for primarily? What song that was later covered by a certain British invasion band? Oh my God. Um, the biggest British invasion band. The biggest British invasion band? <laughs> the Beatles? Not the Beatles? Yeah. The song Money. That's what I want. Uh, That's Barrett Strong. Yeah. Nice. And Oops. obviously, Bruce Springsteen kind of brought this song back in the 80s, right? He had a, I don't know if it was a hit, but you certainly heard it on the radio from the live box set, right? Back in the day. I definitely heard it from that deck, but I, I remember hearing the Edwin Starr version way before that. So, yeah. I don't know if my parents played it for me or, but I, I this was a song I grew up with. Like, you know, right. you know, not to mention, you know, anti war song, Jewish liberal from Massachusetts. I mean, come on, it fits, right? <laughs> like I said, unfortunately, it will always be timely. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're going to move on. And you mentioned Krautrock, Larry. I did. There's there was no way. There we go. This you were letting this episode go without some crowd rock, right? So this next song, uh, yeah, there we go. This next song is a strange one, right? It's a near 14 minute song, sweet. That's divided between four parts. That's all I'm going to give for now. So I have to admit, I didn't know where you would go with this, but I knew there was no way we would go through 1970 without a little bit of. Crowd rock from you. And this is pretty damn heavy for by the German Krautrock band Amandul 2 from their excellent Yeti album. I would say that Can was the greatest Krautrock band, but Soap Shock Rock is arguably the greatest Krautrock song. It's, it's got that velvet underground kind of drone groove. 
that you could hear like a later band like Stereo Lab, right, influenced by them. You got some wild male vocals and ethereal, haunting female vocals. The drums just pummel you. The guitar work is great throughout. It's so atmospheric. It's also rocking. I, I think this is obviously a more experimental song than, than what we typically play here. But I think uh, some of our more adventurous listeners, if they're willing to give it a shot, they might dig it. So I thought for sure you were going to pick something from Tagamago until I realized that it was 1971. So maybe next. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there were several songs. It was very hard to pack up. I'm hoping you guys will, will cover them with your next picks. What are you hoping? I said there were several like more obvious songs. honorable mentions. No, no, there were were several obvious songs I feel like we haven't picked yet that I'm hoping you guys will cover. I think maybe Scott's amazed at some of the picks that I think think maybe he is amazed. Maybe even some more obvious picks than that one. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Hello, LA. Like a song named after my dog. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, anyway, I, you guys probably don't have too much to add about that one. I know, Larry, you kind of, you like that one, right? I think we've yeah. talked about it before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, de- it's definitely different. Yeah. You know, so Scott's talked about a little bit before about the fact that uh, at one point I, I made a, a list of out of the greatest albums of all time and one of the genres that i had not really experienced before i made that list was kraut rock and early 70s german progressive kraut rock very very underrated and and that amandul 2 is a band that honestly i'd never heard of before i started that project like seven years ago or something but very very cool very good stuff and i figured for sure scott would have that at least if this if not in 1970 at some point in the early 70s he would Definitely got some crowd rock. We're, we're definitely missing crowd rock, and we're definitely missing sort of, um, you know, the, the the progressive rock, you know, that was building up at that time, like at that time. Um, and I'm not going to go there, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll we'll have some progressive rock in the uh, upcoming years. So I'm up and I can't let this go without including it because it was a birth of a genre. It was a first. It was the best. And there may be there may be copies and there may be doubters. But this is where it all began. And it was like this is where like you hear something for the first time, and you're like what the fuck did I just hear, right? Like, how is, there's nothing that was comparable. And they took, like, music in a direction that was never the same. And this is what started, this is what started it. Like, it was here where music that we know changed forever. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
fucking birth right there. That's a birth. And thus metal is born. Seriously, like that would sound fresh today. It's but imagine how frightening it was in oh my God. When you said the clip, I, w- I was thinking you should have played the beginning, which I love, which is probably spookier. But after listening to the section you played, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah, you get the full, you get, you get all of Black Sabbath in a, like, again, it's like, that is, it's just so sick that that was the first song on the first album of the first metal band ever like it's it's just crazy that that was uh happening that 52 years ago yeah yeah it's 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 absurd so while war pigs i get war pigs you know it may be a better song but it just doesn't have the same darkness war pigs is a war song this is a song of of a band that is just like on a different edge of society and that's what's amazing about it. Yeah, we love Sabbath. Good pick. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they had two of the best albums of 1970 in like in a single year. It's a you don't have that anymore. Please you don't get that. Yeah. All right, Wallman, bring us home, bro. All right, here we go. So that was Black Magic Woman and Gypsy Queen by Santana. Actually, probably a little more Gypsy Queen than Black Magic Woman. Black Magic Woman, originally Scott, was written by? Fleetwood Mac. Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. That's right. But I think the I think everyone would recognize that the Santana version is considered to be the classic. That's a definitive version for sure. Yeah. I think people kind of forget how heavy Santana could be in the early days, too. Exactly. And and part of the reason why I picked this song and this particular clip was just to show that and also show, you know, how it was sort of a bridge between what they became and also sort of their their more heavier, proggy um, beginnings. So I, I think it's a it's a 
it's a great example of how different prog rock could be, particularly in the late 60s, early 70s. And obviously the percussion made them stand out, the whole Latin rock angle. And you had Carlos, right, one of the greatest guitarists ever. So early Santana was tremendous, and, and that's probably their most famous song. So, yeah. Had, nice had, had, to, had to put it in there. A little trivia. Singer slash keyboardist Greg Raleigh, what band did he subsequently join? Uh, I, I, is it Journey? Yes, yes. Along with Neil Sean, who joined Santana on Santana 3. This was basically Santana 2, Abraxas. Yep. Also great artwork on that album. Oh, right? Phenomenal artwork. Yeah. We're done. We've kind of gone probably longer than we expected, right? So I had a bunch of honorable mentions, but I'm I'm going to keep it short and maybe we'll we'll throw in a playlist of all the other ones I was going to mention. I just want to go through the, uh, and maybe you guys could chime in as well, the ones that I really wanted to pick, that, that I actually even picked out song clips for, and in some cases I expected to pick, but did not for whatever reason. So, Hello, LA. So that's the first one, right? Lola. The name of my dog. So how do I not pick that? I'm shocked, shocked that you did not pick Lola. And the, the greatest song ever about its topic, I would say. About Scott's, the greatest song ever about Scott's dog. About my dog, exactly. And uh, one of the greatest lead vocals ever, Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Damn, you're right. You know, I completely missed that so i had that on my list but i i couldn't pull the trigger i just didn't feel like it was kind of our our music nerd vibe although a little too carpenters like yeah i don't know there's just something i don't know it's a little it's a little bit more contrived it is a little bit more like yeah like there's something about this song and what's the other time they got from the song from that album there's a couple i was just going to get to that you have the boxer Yep. The bo- uh, yeah, the boxer too. The boxer too. And, yeah, and I, I think, I mean, as great as Bridge Over Troubled Water's vocals, I, the boxer I think is a better song. Both of them are a little like they're they're, they're trying they're try hard, you know, like <laughs> try hard. The only living boy in New York, another great song. Yeah, that's that a great song too. But Bridge is like the one you think of the signature it, song, right? Yeah. The big hit, right? Yeah. And the signature and lo- vocal yeah, that too. So another one that I had. Uh, listed here i totally expect the pick is my favorite solo song from john lennon god god is a great i thought uh, i thought you i thought you might pick god i i was so close i mean if the beatles break up in the tragic altamont concert hadn't signified the end of the 60s john singing the dream is over certainly did and and when he does it's this powerful moment that's on any john lennon song it just blows me away all right led zeppelin since i've been loving you i mean I'm gonna have a Zeppelin song. I would have gone with Tangerine, but okay. I, I was thinking of actually doing a Tangerine. That's the way two for one, like uh, Keith did in the, the last episode. Uh, there's also Immigrant Song, right? Immigrant hey, song, what yeah. can I do? Maybe the greatest B-side ever. And then the song I almost picked instead of War, The Temptations, Ball and Confusion, which mm. is uh, which is what I was leading, which is what I was leading to, and you picked War. Yeah, it was close and. And and again, that's a uh, a timely song, dark protest song. It's a favorite of my dad, as Keith mentioned. 
and psychedelic soul right which which i know larry loves as well i do and, and the creativity with the traditional vocals is fantastic it's just a great song simple folk rock maybe not a song you, you guys would have thought of but maybe you did i don't know grateful dead ripple i had a couple of grateful dead songs that i was thinking of but i feel like dead dead album versus dead live it's not you know but i could have picked a live song so. oh yeah yeah but american beauty i think is definitely the best studio oh, yeah. album yeah, and, sure. and that's always been my favorite uh, dead song it's just a beautiful and soothing song then we already talked about the velvet underground rock and roll right and uh jimmy hendrix machine gun right so to me it's one of the greatest guitar performances ever by maybe the greatest guitarist ever and it's a live performance of a song that doesn't have a studio version and you've never heard it on the radio i'm sure so it's uh definitely another song i want to single out the birds chestnut mare so this is a country rock song the best way period song from a legendary band or best known for their 60s work and then uh the stooges dirt right so a little, uh, surprise, a little surprise none of us picked the stooges yeah so that's going like, on with a few stooges songs, yeah to me I, I i went with that it's the longest one it's also the most epic and it's almost like a dirge like song whereas most of their songs are reckless assaults and this one is more like controlled fury so it's uh i feel like most of their songs are, are, are either controlled or uncontrolled fury but always most fear. most are uncontrolled this one is semi-controlled and, semi and that's why it stands out uh, again i have a ton more i'll put them in a playlist and uh, i'll turn it over to you guys to see if you uh just want to mention any songs that you kind of wish you had picked and or just kind of ran out of picks um so you mentioned a couple of them so zeppelin um oh sweet nothing from velvet underground Keith mentioned multiple times, Maybe I'm Amazed by Paul McCartney. Band of Gold. Frida Payne, yeah. Payne, classic soul song. Only three men sailed up from oh, yeah. the San Francisco Bay. If we ever do the uh, 70s one-hit wonders, that'll be on it, right? Ride yeah. Captain Ride. Great Ride time. Captain Ride is... That song is just like... it. it that song is one of the, like, it takes you away, just transports you into a story. That, Puts uh, you a smile on your face, makes you feel good, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, just, just, oh, I, was, I swear to God, the words were coming out of my mouth in the summertime. Mongo Jerry, catchy summertime song, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Spill that wine. Mm. Yeah, Eric Bird and the War. We, we talked about Chicago. How about a great song that's very Chicago-like, The Ides of March with Vehicle? Vehicle, great song. I had Vehicle on my short list. Yeah. I didn't actually think anyone would know that song, so that, I should have picked that. That would have been a good one. All Right Now? Great, yeah. Great riff, great party tune. Yep. Um, and Bedfinger. Every time I hear Bedfinger, I think it's the Beatles, and then I'm like... That's yeah. not the Beatles. Yeah, I know. No matter what, yeah. Just great. I feel like part of the reason I don't like Badfinger that much is because of that, but I, I, I do agree with you. Um, I had I had on my short list Man Who Sold the World. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Yeah. I mean, Nirvana came out a lot later than that, Larry. It did, I know. I know. I, I know. I realized later on that Nirvana was in 1970, but... I actually had Wits of a Circle from that album, the lead-off track, which is... 
epic and heavy. Like that's like and, fully and version of it. Check it out. We haven't mentioned. I mean, maybe I mentioned it earlier in passing, but I think "I Love You" by the Marquis family deserves it. <laughs> it does. I, yeah. I, I I contemplated putting that as the intro song. Do I get the outro song? Because that can you be. Do you get the song. outro song? But I I hope you pick something a little more interesting than that. Well, I've, I've I do have one that I think I'm going to pick as the outro song. So. I'm your captain. What do we think about? Yeah, yeah. I'm your captain. Do we like that song? Or yeah, is I it, do. Like, it's, uh, it's another song you yeah, that's disappeared, right? It's it, you could say it's overlong and repetitive, but it's well, that's the thing. Good. Like that in the Moody Blues, are like is that is it prog? Is it too proggy? Is it? Uh, I will defend the Moody Blues to the death. So, and uh, a question with. Uh, well, that's right. That's right. right. Yeah. The question, yeah. question, because those those are both obviously long songs that that Prague connect connections. Yeah, Justin Hay was a great singer, though, right? Yeah, they, they always had that going for them. All right, we uh, we we done. I we're think done. I'm actually a little surprised that neither of you picked it, said this as a um, an honorable mention. Just considering how you know how how big the song is across the universe. Nope. Is this the outro song? It's going to be the outro song. Yeah. You're not going to give us a hint. No. No. Yeah, <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. This is this is a song from one of the biggest artists of the 1970s, and this was his breakthrough. I don't even think it's his necessarily his best song from this from nineteen seventy. Your, your song. You it's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. Don't have much money. Hope everyone enjoyed this song draft of the best songs of 1970. Have a good night, everyone. Night, everybody. Hasta.